We are on Ksubis towards the bottom of Memchas Amad Aleph 48a, as we have a few more lines left in the Gemara. And then we will begin a new, very interesting Mishnah. Uh, our Gemara so far has been discussing uh, different scenarios, different cases where there's a certain obligation that a husband has towards his wife. What happens if he's no longer around, meaning he's traveling, he's away, or mentally. Uh, he has become a shota. He has become mentally incapable of making uh, decisions. Um, and to them, what do we do with regards to those obligations that he has towards his wife? So the Gemara continues on that discussion. It's um, re- the the first case. We have two more cases. The first case relates to a discussion that we had in the last class. Amr v'chia barav and Amr v'huna v'huna says Misha halachum dina sayam v'mesa ishto. What happens if a person's traveling? And at the point in time that they're traveling, their wife passes away. So they are no longer around. Uh, they're not around for the burial. But we know that a husband has an obligation to bury his wife. Uh, she, he's in charge of uh, the burial. So the Rav Huna says that we have to bury her. So Yes, number one, he has to pay for it. Uh, he has to pay for it. And so therefore, based in the court, will uh, take the money from his uh, property to bury her. But not only do we bury her, but we also bury her based on the honor of his family. What does it mean of the honor of his family? So that relates to the discussion that we had in last week's class, in the last class, about, uh, let's say, she has the lower standard in terms of what's necessary for the burial, and, he, and the husband has a higher one, so then the husband is obligated to pay for the higher one. Um, not just during her lifetime does he have to does she live by those higher standards of her husband, but even after she passes away, that's what we mentioned. There was a, a dispute about that, but that's what we mentioned. The law, the halacha follows Rabbi Huda that we do go based on uh, his standards, and so therefore it's lefich based on his standards. That's how much the court will uh, take from his property. So the Gemara asks, interjects, and asks lefich lo lefich based on uh, his honor, not based on her honor, let's say she has higher standards. So what about that case? The Gemara says, no, that's obvious. Yeah, obviously, if she has higher standards, if her family has higher standards, the husband has lower standards in terms of the burial, so then for sure it has to go based on her family and the higher standards that she's used to. But even more so, even if... uh, she has lower standards in terms of, her family has lower standards in terms of burial. But the husband has higher standards, so then, even in that case, we would follow the husband, and therefore, they would have to pay, uh, they would take out of his property the amount that's necessary for a burial that's of his, of the husband's standards, those higher standards. Okay, that's case number one. Then we have case number two, we're trying, the Gemara will try to figure out what exactly is case number two. But then that will lead us into the next Mishnah. So, Amar Ramasna. Ramasna says, if a person is on his deathbed, the husband is on his deathbed, and he says as follows, He says that after I pass away, so then do not bury my wife with my money, with my property. It belongs to my kids. And uh, let's say he has kids from a different marriage. It doesn't, uh, they, they shouldn't pay for her burial. So the Gemara says that that's obvious. That's actually true. The husband has an obligation to bury his wife if his wife passes away first. So then he has the obligation. But if he passed away, 
So then his property basically goes to his own children. And then the obligation to bury his wife is is her immediate relatives, whoever that is. It's not it wouldn't be the the children that the husband has from a different uh, from a different marriage from a different wife. Uh, it would be her closest relatives, let's say. Sigmar says that that's something which is obvious. Obviously, when he's on his deathbed and he's saying, "Don't pay uh, with uh, with my with what I own." He after he passes away, he doesn't own it. It goes to his children, and those children uh, would not have an obligation. Certainly, if uh, if it's not their if it's not their mother, if it's a, if it's a different uh, their mother or somebody else. The Gemara says this is obvious. The the property in the end of the day doesn't belong to him after he passes away. So on his deathbed, if he says this, this is something which is obvious. So what it's coming to tell you for the following case, very interesting case. He basically says that if when I pass away. This is what the what the person on his deathbed is saying. Do not bury me with my money. I don't want to be married with my money. Why? I want to be married. Uh, I want my money to go to my kids. And my money should not be used uh, for my own burial. So we do not listen to him in that case. We don't listen to him. He does not have the right to say that don't, don't use my money so that my money goes to my kids and then it's a communal responsibility for his burial. He does not have the right to say that. And we have to bury him with his, um, with his own money. He's not allowed to say, "No, I don't. I don't want to spend money on this, so that my kids have more." He's not allowed to do that, because there's an obligation to be buried. What exactly is that obligation to be buried? Um, is a big discussion. Whether it's because if it's a bizayo and it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a lack, a lack of dignity. Uh, whether it's a kapara, a form of a kapara, or perhaps the obligation is that no, really, there's some that want to say that the obligation is that really a person has to bury themselves, just they're not able to. Why do they have to bury themselves? Uh, because of the pasuk, the verse says that we came from the ground and we have to return to the ground, uh, and so a person can't do it to themselves because they they're not alive at the time. But uh, an immediate relative should bury them to fulfill this idea that we came from the ground, and so therefore we return to the ground. So. A person cannot say that I'm not spending any money on this. This should be an obligation on the community. No, a person doesn't have the right to say that either. Okay, so those were the two cases of the Mishnah and now we, uh, of the Gemara. And now we begin a new Mishnah. This Mishnah uh, perhaps should have been at the very beginning of this Masechta. In fact, some of the commentators discussed this at the very beginning of this tractate. This Mishnah is really discussing the concept of Chuppah. We know that there are two parts to a marriage, to establishing a marriage. One is the Kiddushin, the halachic engagement, which can be done either with the giving of money, which is what we do today with a ring, or with a, a, a marriage document, or through bia, through having sexual relations. Those are the three ways in which you can begin that first part of the process. That first part of the process, there is very little that is established at the time. They are not allowed to marry or, or have relig- sexual relations with somebody else. They are not also, at least in most places, um, they're not allowed to have sexual relations between each other. Uh, they're not allowed to until they actually are fully married. And a lot of the other laws do not kick in until they're fully married. Fully married means living together. They do not live to, with each other during that first stage. Again, back in the times of the Talmud, that first stage would be for a year long. Today, it's about five minutes apart, so it doesn't make that much of a difference. Uh, but conceptually, these are two important stages. 
the chuppah is a big question. What exactly is the chuppah? The chuppah is the, is the completion of the marriage. Now, the chuppah could either be the actual canopy that we have today. It could be yichud. It could be being uh, alone in a room. It's trying to signify the fact that you are living under the same roof. Our Mishnah will present a different form of a chuppah. Really, not a less romantic form of a chuppah where uh, we're talking about a katana, a girl under the age of 12 and a half, uh, 12 or 12 and a half, and the father is marrying her off. Um, and basically, just by passing her over to her, her future, her husband or uh, messengers of the husband, uh, of the Baal, um, and that fulfills chuppah, which is a strange idea, because in, in general we assume that chuppah is about living under the same roof, some some representation of that, of living together, and this is not really it. You could give her over to the messengers of the husband, and that would fulfill this. So this is a big discussion. How could this be, that this actually fulfills chuppah? So someone to say that this is limited to a kitana, to a girl who is a minor, um, and this does not apply, this would not work as a chuppah in general, Others want to say that there's really two different aspects to marriage. One is sort of the contractual aspect to marriage, which is what we've been discussing until now, which is the financial obligations, different obligations that are created. And that could take place uh, in our situation of our Mishnah, even if it's not your regular form of a chuppah, of a canopy, or of a yichud, being secluded in a room. That's one aspect of the marriage. The other aspect of the marriage is the fact that they are allowed to be with each other that they're allowed to have sexual relations with each other. And that maybe can only kick in, according to those opinions, that can only kick in when there's a real chuppah, when there's a, a real, because that signifies the fact that they're living together. So perhaps there's two different stages, aspects to this second half of marriage, this completion of the marriage, uh, the the contractual obligations, um, the financial obligations on the one hand, and then on the other hand, the fact that they are allowed to live with each other and have sexual relations with each other would be the second part of this uh, of the marriage, and that can only happen if there's an actual chuppah, according to those opinions. According to those opinions. So let's see the mission inside. Le'olam hi ab. She is under the jurisdiction of her father, ajit tichanes the rishus habal, le'nisuin, until she's given over to her husband for the completion, for the nisuin, the second part, the chuppah part of the marriage. Once the father just hands her over to the messengers of the husband, certainly to the husband himself. So then now she is in the jurisdiction of her husband. Her husband now has responsibilities to um, the different, ten different types of responsibilities that we've been discussing uh, towards her. However, what happens if you have the following case? Where the father continues to walk with the messengers of the husband, or the messengers of the father continue to walk with the messengers of the husband. So it's not a complete... Transfer, so then she remains in, under the domain, the jurisdiction of her father. However, if the messengers of the father I give her over to the messengers of the husband, so then she has now entered into the domain of her husband. Essentially, if they're together, if the father is still there, or those who represent the father is still there, so then she remains with her father. Uh, but once uh, there's that clear transfer where she's now uh, with the uh, with the husband or with the representatives of the husband. So then she, the husband now has responsibilities towards her and also certain uh, rights that the husband has, which uh, we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks, from, with regards to his wife. Okay, that is the Mishnah itself. That's the Mishnah. So says says the Gemara, My Le'olam. What does it mean, Le'olam? Always 
The Mishnah started off by saying, Olam, always she's under the jurisdiction of her father until the actual marriage. What's that coming to tell you? So we've had this, we actually had this at the very beginning of the tractate of the Masechta, uh, that we, we mentioned that there's this uh, 12-month wait, there's a year wait between the engagement and the actual marriage, the halachic engagement and the actual marriage. What happens if there's a delay? A, a year passes by and there's a delay. Now what happens? Uh, are they viewed as married? Are they not viewed as married? Uh, are there certain obligations? Uh, so there is a, a first teaching, which was mentioned uh, on Dav Beis, on, on, on the very beginning of this tractate, that says that if the time passes and they didn't get married, let's say a classic case would be, or an easier case to understand is, is there's negligence of the husband. He delays it intentionally uh, or due to negligence. So then uh, she's now, he has to feed her. He has an obligation to support her. And... Uh, she's now allowed to eat truma. She's, it's permissible for her uh, to eat uh, truma. She, if, if the husband is a Kohen, she's not a Kohen. Now it's like they're married and, uh, and she's allowed to eat truma. Um, that's what the, uh, because a year has passed, so either because this is some sort of knas, maybe it's a fine that we place upon the husband, or others want to say, interestingly enough, that this is a quasi-marriage. They were halakhically engaged. A year passes, even though they didn't do anything. There was no chuppah. There was, they didn't, she was not given over to him. It doesn't make a difference. Once the year passes, it's a, it's a quasi-marriage, full, fulfillment of the marriage. The year is up. It's like they're quasi, quasi-married, and therefore um, the obligation for, for him to feed her, and if he's, he's a Kohen, she's allowed to eat truma, would kick in. But our Mishnah is saying, no, against this. That, that was the original thought of the Mishnah, but the conclusion is that, no, there is, there, there is no obligation um, and our Mishnah argues on that and says, "No, she remains in the within the 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 rishus, the jurisdiction of her father, until an actual nisuin. A year being up doesn't impact anything, according to our Mishnah." Again, this is an arguing on the original thought of of a different Mishnah, but that's uh, that's the first point of the Gemara. Uh, that itself is the first point of the Gemara. The Gemara now wants to understand. So we have different types of marriage. The, the, the most uh, typical, classic, uh, the model of marriage is the chuppah itself. Having a chuppah, a canopy, yichud, being secluded in a room, that's, that's typical. What's not typical is what happens if it's a year later and then they still didn't get married. Would that itself act as some form of a marriage or at least be a fine upon the husband? That we saw as a dispute. The other case of our Mishnah is also uh, not, not really, uh, we don't do this at all today, but uh, even if it was done, it's not your classic form of chuppah. It's where the father gives over his daughter, who's under the age of 12, or 12 and a half, to uh, the husband or to the representatives of the husband. The question is, uh, to what degree is there is there uh, a complete marriage here? Is it with regards to all issues or not all issues? This is what the Gemara is about to discuss now uh, in the next couple of lines. So, Amarav, Mishiras Lakol Chutz Mitruma. Rav says, yes, it's a complete marriage, except for Truma. Except for Truma. Why? Uh, that's for a, a different reason. Really, after they get engaged, if, if the wife's husband is a Kohen, if he's a Kohen, she should be allowed to eat Truma. The reason why she doesn't eat Truma is, is really just is on a rabbinic level. It's for one of two reasons. One reason is because we're afraid that once they actually get married, he's going to find some sort of blemish. It's going to retroactively uh, annul the marriage. If he finds a significant blemish uh, on her, 
And if it annuls the marriage, so then it's like they were never married. She's eating truma. We're very, we're nervous about that. And so therefore, don't eat truma until they actually get married. Which is what's happening here. That's the position of Rav. Rav says, well, uh, she's not with her husband yet. She, she's given over to the, to the, uh, messengers, to the representatives of the husband. So everything kicks in except for truma. Truma does not kick in because we're still concerned. We're worried that, um, uh, that there'll be, that, that maybe there's a small chance that he will annul the marriage because he'll find something once they're living together. You know, all of a sudden, oh, they're living together. There's this blemish and it'll annul the marriage retroactively. Ravasi Amr Aflatruma. Ravasi argues and says, no, even with regards to Truma, once they get, once it's, uh, she's given over to the messengers, everything, everything, it's a complete marriage. Why? What about Truma? Because he believes, he's of the opinion that the reason really she should eat Truma from the very beginning, from the point in time of the halakhic engagement, why doesn't she eat Truma? We're concerned that she's going to give uh, some of the truma, she's living in her father's home. The father's home, they're not kohanim. She's going to give some to her brothers, to her father, to her mother. And they're not kohanim. And that's a problem. Once she's given over to the uh, messengers of the husband, so then there's no issue. We're not worried about it. And she'll eat truma. And she's not going to give it to anybody else. Uh, so Ravasi says she can even eat truma. It's not a problem. They ask, based on a certain language that they have of our Mishnah, which is not exactly our language, but we said in our Mishnah that she remains with the father until they go to the Chuppah. So I don't understand. Olam always means that until they go to the Chuppah, she cannot eat Truma. So how does, what does Ravasi do with this? Ravasi said she could eat Truma. So Amalu Rav, Lava Minalucho, Lo Tizlu Basar Ipcha, Yachoshin Lucho, Misi Rasu Zuhi, Kinisasa Lachopa. Rav says, what are you talking about? Uh, when it says going to Chuppah, what does Chuppah mean? Chuppah can mean that she's given over. That, that's what Chuppah is. She's given over to these messengers. At the point in time where she's given over to these messengers, Rav Asi will tell you that she's allowed to eat Truma. So in the end of the day, we have two opinions. We have these two opinions that um, it's a complete marriage, complete marriage, but um, but there's there's a question about uh, Truma. Uh, the, the first opinion, Rav says that she's not allowed to eat Truma because we're still worried that maybe they'll, they'll annul the marriage uh, after they meet each other and they live with each other. Um, and then she's eating truma, and she's not really the wife of a Kohen. Uh, but the other opinion of Asi says she could eat truma because the concern that she shouldn't eat truma was that she'll feed it to her family. She's not with her family anymore. There's no such concern. Okay, let's continue in the Gemara. Those are the first two opinions. We'll see that there's really four, three slash four different opinions of what's happening in this marriage. Uh, the next opinion is Shmuel. Shmuel Amar Lirushasa. We'll, we'll read Shmuel uh, according to Rashi. That Shmuel is a, is a bit of the other extreme. That really, nothing really kicks in. Very little, at least very, very little kicks in. Truma doesn't kick in. She's not allowed to eat Truma. Um, she's not, he, the husband cannot annul her vows. Um, anything she finds doesn't go to the husband. All these other things do not kick in. The only thing that kicks in is that if she dies, the husband could keep the Nidunya. The Nidunya is what we mentioned in the past. The father of the girl sometimes enter, brings things into the marriage so that uh, they have something, the husband and the wife, uh, and it's it's good for the husband, uh, a little bit more, a little bit extra into the marriage, and so the husband gets to keep that because the the father essentially said he was mochel. He said, yeah, he forgave it and said, this belongs to the husband even if my wife passes away. And so that, that with regards to that, so then that, that is kept. But with regards to all the other obligations of the husband, that does not kick in at all. Um, and so that's the position and, and all the rights that the, that the husband has that doesn't kick in. And that's a dispute. That's a big dispute between Rav and Ravasi on the one hand who say that everything kicks in, except for maybe Truma. 
And Shmuel says nothing kicks in except for Yerusha, the concept of Yerusha, that uh, if she passes away, so then the Nedunya, what the father brought into the marriage, is given over, uh, to his daughter, is given over to her husband uh, now that she passed away. So these are really, uh, really very different opinions. We now have Rish Lakish. We're at the 20 minute mark, but we're gonna, we will continue right now. Rish Lakish Amar Liksubasa. Rish Lakish says that this has ramifications. This is, I don't know if this is arguing, but this is a, a different opinion. Um, uh, discussing something else. It has, this has ramifications with regards to her Ksuba. Ksubasa Mahi, di Mesa Yarsla Hainadushmul. If it's about the fact that if she passes away, so then the husband gets to keep the ksuba, the nidunya, that's the same thing as shmuel. So, it's really there to tell you that, Rishlaki is there to tell you that, let's say she's, she's transferred over to the representatives of the husband. So now, if, she, if uh, the husband passes away, so even though they were never actually lived with each other, if she were to marry somebody else, it's like she's a widow. She's a widow, and therefore that impacts the amount of the ksuba. The ksuba will only be 100 and not 200. The Gemara quotes that, other opinions, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Chanina, Dambar Tavayim, Misiras Lekol Aflatuma. Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Chanina basically say like Rav Asi, the second opinion that we had earlier, that it's a complete marriage with regards to everything, including Truma. At the end of the day, according to the way Rashi understands this, we have basically three different opinions. The first two are very similar. It's a complete marriage, except for maybe Truma. Maybe Truma is included. She could eat Truma. She can't eat Truma. And then we have the opinion of Shmuel, who says that no, nothing really kicks in except for the fact that the father allowed the husband to keep the nidunya, the gift. That he brought into the marriage, even if the wife passes away uh, before they actually uh, live with each other. The Gemara has the following question: we have the following Brysa. The Brysa says, if the father continues, or the, the representatives of the fathers continues to go with the girl, uh, as the girl is traveling with the representatives of the husband, of the husband, uh, or let's say it's a case where um, they, they, they go into her chatzer and they, and they stay with each other, but it's not for the purposes of marriage. The point is that it's, it's, not, a, it's not a complete marriage. So then um, the father, if she passes away, the father inherits from his daughter because it's not a complete marriage. He's staying with her. And then he's staying with her. However, if he gives her over to the girl, over to the representatives of the husband or to the husband himself, so then that is a complete marriage. Or let's say they enter into his chatzer, into his courtyard, uh, for the purposes of marriage, so it is a complete marriage. Uh, so then, if she passes away, then the husband does receive the Yerusha, the inheritance. But the key point is that it's only with regards to the inheritance, not with regards to Truma, and seemingly not with regards to anything else. So this seems to prove like Shmuel. Shmuel says it's only with regards to the inheritance of the Nedunya does this make a difference, but it's not a complete marriage. So this Brisa seems to support Shmuel and goes against all the other opinions. We had Rav, Rav Asi, Rav Yochanan, Rav Yichanina. They were all the position that it's a complete marriage. Uh, this Brisa seems to be going against it. And in fact, this is how the Rambam rules. The Rambam rules that um, this is only with regards to the Yerusha, the inheritance, but not with regards to uh, other aspects of this marriage. This this form of, a, of this completion of the wedding 
of giving over uh, the girl to the representatives of the husband or to the husband himself. The Gemara has one small question here. Basically, besides for the the Bryce that was discussing what happens if the husband if the father stays with the messengers or doesn't stay with the messengers, that was the difference between the first case and the second case. There was another difference about what happens if they enter into her courtyard. So we say that uh, it's not it's it, it, it's not viewed as a marriage. It sounds like if it was stam, if it was neutral, it would be a marriage. And then and from the end, it says that if they enter into his home, so then it is a marriage. It sounds like if it was stam, if it was neutral, a neutral zone, it would not be a marriage. That seems to be a contradiction. Rav Ashi explained and says that no, what's going on here is that when it's her courtyard, the assumption is is that they're not there for marriage. They're not there for marriage, and therefore it's not viewed as marriage. When it's his courtyard. When the two of them enter into his courtyard, because she, the idea is she's supposed to enter into his domain, so then it is viewed as, it, the, the assumption is that it is viewed as marriage. That was a, just a side point to that price. But at the end of the day, we have this concept of uh, this new form of a marriage. Uh, and the question is, to what degree is this really a form of a marriage? Is it completely, is it not completely? What about truma? Uh, and we pointed out this might only apply to a minor, or might only apply to certain aspects of the marriage, um, in fact, uh, there's, there are those that want to say within Rashi, and maybe according to some others, that really at this stage, it's not, it's like an in-between. It's not a halachic engagement, but they're not fully married yet either. It's sort of in-between. Um, and so you could have a stage, an in-between stage, between the engagement and the actual marriage, and that's what this creates. And so certain laws do kick in, certain laws don't kick in, and so we have this uh, in-between stage, which is interesting, Um uh, that's mentioned by this Mishnah. Okay, this concludes. We're at the very bottom of Mechas and Beis. We have a few lines left, but we'll see those lines as we uh, as we learn the Gemara in next week's recording. This week we only had two classes, and we'll begin next week with these last couple of lines.